From the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face to face. What you're hearing is a literal cloudburst right now. It is thundering down, wind is blowing, it's a storm, but Heart of the Matter carries on. We, we proceed. Thank you, God, for protecting us from all this. Listen, we're here with some uh, students from Long Beach, California, and Mission Hills. And guess what? Today, these guys went to uh, Temple Square, and they were kicked off. Can you believe it? Kicked off. This, this handsome, wholesome group kicked off. They're with Russ East Utah Partners for Christ, who brings groups in through Utah. And uh, so, But even though they were kicked off, Temple Square, they have a message. Are you ready? God loves Mormons. God loves Mormons. In spite of all their heresies and false doctrines, he loves them. He wants them to come to know the truth. Thanks, you guys, for being on the show. And you just exit off that way gently. And now that you've left, the rain has stopped. <laughs> Heart of the Matter can be seen from anywhere in the world through live streaming video. Go to www.hotm.tv. Click on the streaming video button, and you've got it set. How about some announcements? Get your pencils and papers ready. Christian Gift and Bible is going out of business. They're in Springville. If you have a need for Christian books or gifts, check them out. Everything's on sale. We are going to miss them. They were a great addition to Springville. And uh, sorry that they uh, weren't able to keep it going, probably because it's down there in uh, predominantly Mormon land. Uh, if you have automotive needs, we highly recommend Affordable Automotive. The address is on, and phone number is on the screen, hopefully. Um, on Saturday, September 3rd, we are hosting our sixth annual Burning Heart Revival and open water baptisms. Last year, we baptized maybe, I don't know, 20 people. And we have, of course, Adams Road that comes and plays. That is a phenomenal experience. Where Murray Park, 5 to 8 p.m., bring blankets, chairs, yourselves, whatever, a subway, eat fresh. We'll be, once again, providing great box lunches at a nominal price. And uh, uh, we hope to see you all there, so mark that on your calendars. And then also, next week, we're going to give you more information on this, but Casting Crowns is going to be in town at uh, uh, Bravano Hall, and we will give you more and more information. We're going to have a spot for that next week, so just kind of be looking for that and go get tickets, okay? So, we have Alethea representatives. That's what we've been calling it. We have a name change. Don't get confused. We now have made it an alliteration. It's Aletheia Ambassadors. 
Do you want to be an Aletheia ambassador? And all that means is you are out there somewhere outside of right here and you want to be able to be a rep an ambassador for someone who's coming out of Mormonism. Somebody writes us and say, hey, I'm coming out of Mormonism. I live in Pascagoula, Mississippi. Do you have an Aletheia ambassador in that area? We say, yes, we do. We hook you up through the emails, and then you guys can meet for lunch and talk about, or whatever. So we're going to show you a list right now of our present Aletheia ambassadors. A correction, it's Gift of Grace bookstore is going out of uh, business in Springville, Utah, uh, not uh, Christian Gift and Bible. They are a viable, up and running, great Christian store here in the Salt Lake Valley. Uh, you know, our Aletheia ambassadors are out there for your uh, needs. If you're in the area and you are questioning your faith, let us know. We'll put you in contact with them. Uh, also, if you have uh, uh, a desire to be an Aletheia ambassador, please email us. We put that up on the screen, Sean at Aletheia Media, and we will uh, put you on the list and go from there. Got an interesting email. I guess there's a new book out from an LDS author, a BYU professor. It's called The Fortunate Fall. The Fortunate Fall. And it's a, another masterpiece of great LDS literature uh, referring to the LDS idea that Adam's fall was a good thing. The whole book is about how it's such a good thing. Now, here's the gig, folks. Listen closely. When a person embraces the idea that the fall of Adam was a good thing, they are saying, listen, that God is the author. He is the one who actually endorsed the idea that it would be good for children to suffer and die with cancer, for there to be divorce and adultery and rape and violence and famine and disease and birth defects and war. Uh, there is no other way to look at it. They say the fall was a fall upward and that God authored this plan for us to come here. Uh, Adam sins, sin is introduced into the world and all hell breaks loose and God is just like, yay, 
I just love this trial and suffering they're going through because it makes the strong stronger. Of course, those who can't take it, they just fall off the wayside. Now, the Christian perspective is God never wanted any of this junk to go on on his earth. He created a beautiful place and Adam and Eve disobeyed and they brought down an ugly, sinful state. And God is not the author of this ugly, sinful place. Had Adam and Eve done what they were commanded to do and just loved and just lived in that beautiful garden, we would have all continued to go on, be born in that garden, and it would have been a great place just like the picture of heaven is supposed to be. So the LDS idea about a fall is pure evil. It's pure evil when you really consider it. Sorry to be so dogmatic on that. How about a moment from the Word? Our message tonight is not only relative to Mormonism, but to many pastors, reverends, and priests in the body of Christ. John the Beloved's mother uh, came to Jesus, and I'm here, right? came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 20, and she asked if her two sons could sit on the right and left hand of Jesus in the kingdom. And this request really ticked off the other disciples it, but it opened up an opportunity for the Lord to teach them about who would serve in his church and how. So now we look, bring up the verse, verse 25, and it says, But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and that they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. What Jesus is saying here is the kings of this earth raise their favorite family members and friends up to the posts of power within their organizations. They exercise nepotism, kind of like, you know, uh, Apostle Oak's second polygamous wife uh, coming up with the, with the uh, testimony glove and having Deseret Books produce the whole thing. That's kind of how the kingdom of the Gentiles works. There's nepotism and there's favoritism and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, Jesus tells his apostle, this is how the Gentiles work. They love to exercise authority over others. But my kingdom, my church, is established in a completely different manner. There are to be no ranks, no uh, places of dominion. All are on the same level. The rich, the poor, the learned, the unlearned, the bond, the free, all to be equal. And the one who will actually be the most distinguished will be the one who ultimately exhibits the most genuine humility and the deepest uh, uh, idea of their unworthiness before God and their most earnest desire to love and serve other people. So Jesus says all this in these words. He says, but who will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. And even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. I believe Christian pastors and reverends and apostles and priests ought to be called slaves and servants. I think that uh, many in the clergy today, especially in the LDS church, but many even in the Christian body have lost their way. I think Jesus clearly established that his what his church was supposed to be about, and we've gotten away from it when we've held people who are in these servant positions up as though they are somebody. 
Uh, my thoughts are not original. They are all right there available in Matthew chapter 20. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. God of heaven, uh, Lord of all earth, we love you, we need you, and we seek you. We, we pray for our volunteers and our administrators, our staff tonight as they uh, uh, help with the program. We pray for the technical difficulties. We pray for our audience members, whether they're here or out there in TV land or who are watching on the archives, Lord, open our eyes to your truth. We pray for this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, last week we began to examine Joseph Smith's claims to having had a first vision, which in the final version, uh, and the one used by the LDS Church today, has God the Father in a body of flesh and bones uh, standing in the air, and Jesus Christ in a body of flesh and bones standing next to him. We said that we have some tools uh, that enable us to test Smithy's claims on these things. Remember? Uh, we said, and here's a graphic, we said we can check the context of the first vision, which we covered last week. We can look at the canonicity of the first vision, the consistency of the first vision, and the chronology of the first vision. Those are the four things we can use now to see whether Joseph Smith was telling the truth or not. So let's take a minute and use the Bible or the canon, the measuring stick, to see what it says about both the nature of God, which Joseph Smith claims to have seen in a body of flesh and bone, and man seeing God, which Joseph Smith ultimately claimed to do. Jesus said in John 4.24, God, referring to the Father, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Later, when Jesus appeared to, his, appeared to the disciples after the resurrection, he said, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. He said, Handle me and see me. Listen to this. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. So Jesus, referring to the Father, said, God is a spirit. And then speaking of himself in his resurrected body, he says, A spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me have. Taking these two statements together, we can conclude that if God is a spirit, as Jesus said, then he does not have flesh and bones as the resurrected Christ has. It's that simple, my friends. To believe Joseph's rewritten account of the first vision, which said that God has a body of flesh and bone, is to categorically deny what Jesus himself taught. Think about this. Now, let's look at both the Old and New Testament and how they describe God. Deuteronomy 4.24 says, For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. The writer of Hebrews gives us a second witness of this saying. The writer of Hebrews writes in 12.28, For God is a consuming fire. Uh, now, some, some will say, well, Sean, isn't Jesus God? And yes, he is God revealed to man in the flesh, but not God the Father who is spirit. You have to understand that. Listen to how the Bible explains who Jesus is. Colossians 2.8.9. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him, meaning Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is in the image of the invisible God. Okay? 
But Joseph Smith says he saw him? Huh? What else does the word say that is in complete conflict with Joseph's revised accounts? The word says that man cannot even see God the Father and live. Exodus 33.20 says, No man can see me and live. 1 John 4.12 says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us, and his love is perfected in us. John 1.18 says, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. And 1 Timothy 1.17 calls God the Father eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Speaking of Jesus dwelling with the Father, 1 Timothy 6.16 says, who, speaking about Jesus, who only has immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom we honor and power everlasting. Amen. And all through the Old Testament verses, we, they repeat over and over and over that God is not a man. So, according to the Bible, God the Father is a spirit, a consuming fire, He's not a man, but instead he's invisible. And no man can see him and live. But Joseph Smith, in a revised and wholly contradictory account, maintains that he saw God the Father and that God the Father has a body of flesh and bones and a penis, I'm sorry, and a rectum with eyelids and a belly button. This is what Joseph Smith said, the eternal, invisible, all-consuming fire, God, immutable, God had. You know, think about this, the blasphemy of this. The man did not fear God at all. He had no respect for the eternal God. He brought God down from his eternal throne of fire, and he said, I'm going to make you a buddy God. I'm going to make you a guy I sit at the bar with. That's what Joseph Smith did with God and his image. I say this angrily, and I am mad because God is mad, you know? Now, in response to my criticism here, many LDS will cry, but the Bible's not reliable. It hasn't been translated correctly. So it doesn't contain all the truths about God that are lost over time. And Joseph restored them when he saw this. Okay, well, for argument's sake, let's just say, okay, maybe you're right. I don't believe that, but let's just say you're right. Let's turn to the Book of Mormon and see what Joseph Smith said in the Book of Mormon about the nature of God. When Joseph Smith finished writing and publishing the Book of Mormon in 1830, he presented a book to the world that described a very different concept of God than what the authorized uh, version of the first vision uh, presents to the world today. Remember, the LDS Church today recites and presents a first vision account that was constructed way after the Book of Mormon went to print. So listen to what Joseph has the Book of Mormon saying about God. In the narrative of the Book of Mormon, or the Book of Mormonian, Joseph Smith has a character named Abinadi speaking and teaching, and this is what Mr. Abinadi says. Quote, 
And now Abinadi said unto them, I would that ye should understand that God himself shall come down among the children of men and shall redeem his people. And because he dwelleth in the flesh, he shall be called the Son of God. And having subjected the flesh to the will of the Father, being the Father and the Son, or, and thus flesh becoming subject to the Spirit, or the Son to the Father, being one God, suffereth temptation. Very clear. Messiah 15, 1 through 2 and 5. Now, in other words, the Book of Mormon prophet Abinadi is teaching that God the Father, when he comes down to earth, becomes God the Son. At the end of the Book of Mormon narrative in Ether 3.14, there's another theological whopper. It speaks of God being two separate beings, but one personage. Listen to what the Book of Mormonians has Jesus himself say uh, uh, there in Ether. It says, Behold, I am he who was prepared from the foundation of the world to redeem my people. Behold, I am Jesus Christ. I am the Father and the Son. In me shall all mankind have light. They shall become my sons and my daughters. Now listen, the theology found here in these passages in the Book of Mormon is a form of a second century heresy called modalistic monotheism, also known as Sabellianism, because a guy named Sabellia, I think his name, he's the one who promoted it. And it said that God the Father becomes God the Son when he comes to earth, who becomes God the Holy Spirit when he leaves the earth. That was the heresy. I'm not going to address this, uh, uh, this heresy tonight, but let me just say it's wholly false. The doctrine of the Trinity taught in the Bible perfectly illustrates that there is a Father, a Son, a Holy Spirit that are distinct, are individual. They are all individually called God, and yet they are all just one God. That's the mystery of the Trinity that, you make, uh, that so many people don't seem to understand. But the important thing to remember here is that the Book of Mormon taught a very different doctrine about God and his nature than what Mormonism teaches today. Why is that? Because at the time that the Book of Mormon was published, this is what Joseph Smith believed the nature of God to be. Now remember that. This is why the earliest versions of the first vision, which we're going to cover next week, mention only, hey, I kind of saw this light. And then the next one says, hey, there was an angel there. And then the next one says, hey, I saw a personage and it was Jesus. And then the final one said, I saw God the Father in a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man standing above me in the air. Okay, so these, these versions morph over time as Joseph's uh, ideas about God morph over time. Uh, we'll show you, as I said next week, the trouble is, the Book of Mormon had already gone to print, and so we have a bunch of teachings in the Book of Mormon that substantiate the early, uh, sometimes Christian view, and the early uh, modalistic view that was sometimes popular uh, from Joseph Smith. In an almost ironic twist of fate, the Book of Mormon actually refutes the LDS teachings on who God is. Look, we have graphics. The Book of Mormon teaches that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are one. There's the references right there on where they teach that, if the, for those of you who take notes. The Book of Mormon teaches that the Father and the Son are modalistically the same person. There's a reference there. Even the title page of the Book of Mormon reads, quote, to the convincing of the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, manifesting himself to all nations. Alma's chapter 18 and 22 teaches that God is a spirit, 
And listen to this, folks. You got to listen to this. To support his early modalistic views that he endorsed and included in the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith had the audacity to go in and actually rewrite verses of the Bible to support his early modalistic views. Let me give you an example. Luke 10.22. This is what it says in the King James Version. Ready? All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. That's what the King James Version says. Listen to what Joseph Smith's inspired translation of the Bible says with that verse. No man knoweth that the Son is the Father, and the Father is the Son, but him to whom the Son will reveal it. He had no fear of God. He had no fear of God's Word. He simply rewrote anything he could to make it fit where he presently was in his mind. This is the view of Joseph Smith, and it changed and changed as he grew older and bolder. Before we go to the phone lines, uh, let me remind you of one other point relative to what the Bible says and teaches about people who have visions of God and come to know the, con the consuming fire of God and Joseph Smith's first vision. One of the telltale signs that a person has had a genuine interaction with God is that they become obliterated in their soul by his presence. In other words, they are able to see themselves and their sinful state relative to who God is and they kind of disassemble in themselves. In the Sermon on the Mount, the first thing Jesus said is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The poor in spirit are those people who say, you know, I am such a loser. I have wasted my life like Johnny Cash sings, Lord, I've wasted it. And I thank you that you came and saved me despite the wretch that I am. That's poor in spirit because they realize who God is, they realize who they are, and they become poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit is another way to say decimated by his presence. My good friend Dave uh, here, he tells me that the word decimated means reduced by 10%. So I've been using the word wrong. I should be saying obliterated, that it obliterates them. Okay, now ask yourself, what was Isaiah's response when he had an interaction with God? Look what it says. In the year that King Uzzah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Um, this is obliteration of the Spirit. This is poor in the Spirit. When Daniel had a vision of the Lord, he his beauty became as corruption. It says in Daniel 10.7, uh, And Daniel alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there, remind there remained no strength in me, for my beauty was turned in me into corruption and I retained no strength. When Peter recognized the, the Lord's virtue, when the nets were full of fish after fishing all night, uh, Peter said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This is the attitude and response biblically of what happens to people when they have an inter in intimate interaction with the living God. Uh, do we read anything from Joseph Smith 
that even smacks of broken decimation or obliteration of the soul uh, from being in the supposed presence of God. Do, do we sense anything in his account of becoming poor in spirit? Does Joseph's attitude as a man and a prophet over time get more and more humble as true servants of God get more broken and realizing they are more sinful? Or did he get more proud? Well, let's wrap up tonight with a few quotes. We have heard from Isaiah and from Daniel and from even from Peter who realized who they were in the presence of God. How about Joseph Smith? Let's read from Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, pages 350 to 352, he said, quote, If you tell them that God made the world out of something, they will call you a fool, but I am learned and know more than all the world put together. From teachings of the prophet, he's on the glove, teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 363, listen, God made Aaron to be the mouthpiece for the children of Israel, and he will make me be God to you in his stead. If you don't like it, you can lump it, end quote. Finally, the old familiar, sickening, arrogant, disgusting quote from History of the Church, Volume 6, pages 408 and 409. Look it up yourselves, utlm.org. It says this, my friends, from Joseph Smith's mouth. You ready? Come on, you prosecu prosecutors, you false swearers. All hell boil over. You burning mountains, roll down your lava, for I will come out on top at last. I have more to boast of any uh, of, I have more to boast of than any, than ever any man had. I am the only man that has ever been able to keep a whole church together since the days of Adam. A large majority of the whole have stood by me. Neither Paul, John, Peter, nor Jesus ever did it. I boast that no man ever did such a work as I. The followers of Jesus ran away from him, but the Latter-day Saints never ran away from me yet. When they can get rid of me, the devil will go also. That's a quote from the man you say, praise to the man who communed with Jehovah. This is a con man. This is an evil man. And he has, what he's brought about is an evil empire based upon the things of this world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That is his kingdom here on this earth. And it goes hand in hand with all other earthly, worldly, arrogant, self-serving kingdoms. Let's open up the phones. We're going to go next week to the chronology of Joseph Smith's first vision. You stay with us through that one. I don't know how you could ever believe it. Let's open up the phones, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. While the operators are clearing out the Unabombers and Assassins, please let me tell you something. We're in tough economic times. Everybody is. Uh, our partners, people who support us monthly with a certain amount, our friends who have been able to contribute, uh, everything has died down. It's a natural uh, result of, of the way the economy is. Uh, uh, the guy who runs the ministry essentially has businesses, and he tells me stories about tough economic times out there. So I, I, we realize that. And this is not for you to uh, suffer to support Aletheia Ministries. If you are in a position, and if you prayerfully go to the Lord and he guides you to support us, uh, we could use it. So prayerfully consider this message, and we'll come back and take the calls.
appreciate all that you have done, all of you out there, and uh, praise God for your efforts. Thank you so much. We're going to go to Matt in Salt Lake City. He's a first-time caller, and he's LDS. Matt, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Matt? Hey, I wanted to ask you about what you're saying at the beginning of the program about the fall. Yeah. So you were saying that God isn't the author of sin and what happened because of the fall. God is not the author of sin, no. And, and God does, did not want, uh, he didn't play a game with Adam and say, hey, don't eat of the fruit, wink, wink, eat it, please eat it. He, uh, he said don't eat it, and he meant it. But, so, if God created Adam, but surely he would have known that he would have sinned? Yeah. Yeah, his, oh. his foreknowledge doesn't mean he desires it any more than his foreknowledge of creating me desired me to commit the sins I've committed. He still created me. Right. Yeah. Um, so what is the point of Jesus if Adam had never sinned? The, the, the point of Jesus, this is a good question. I like your questioning. Jesus came as a sacrifice to this world. Uh, in, in LDS theology, it, see, it would have been better. Jesus would have been able to remain with the Father, and that would have been a better thing for him. Getting a body was not a, a beneficial thing for Jesus. You know, he was, he, he, he's the Word of God. He's all the mind and will and emotions of God that came down and embodied flesh because of us, because of Adam's sin. So, ideally, Jesus never would have had to come and go through the horrible things he went through had there been no fall. Right. See, and so you have to, it's a tough being LDS, because I was one 40 years, to understand that because you automatically think of Jesus needing to come down here to get a body to save us. But there, there, was, there was a need because of the fall. Otherwise, it would have been better had him never had to come down and sacrifice himself. So you guys just view Adam as a sinner, but I mean, surely he repented or... In terms of uh, his repentance, I, I don't know. I don't think the Bible tells us he repented. I don't know the idea. I know he was cast from the garden. He introduced sin to the world, and the result of that was his first son murdered his second one. Right. So, so you can imagine the pain had, that they felt from that. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. I'm if sorry. Adam, if Adam had never sinned, yeah. we, would we be here? Yeah. Let me ask you this. Did you say no? Mm -mm. I said yes. I was just trying to get my fix of Diet Coke. Okay, okay. So was I, in other words, was I created on the sixth day, or was I created a couple years ago? 
you were created uh, when you're, well, there's, there's, okay, now we get into some real issues. The Jews say that your life began when your mother first felt you. See, the Christian idea of human life is God breathed into the nostrils of the clay tabernacle of Adam and his body, and he became a living soul. The pneuma went into the body, the karna, and it, they became a living um, uh, suke. Okay? And so, and so from Adam and Eve comes all the generations from God initiating all of life right there. There was no pre-mortal existence. You were not out there waiting to come here. You are a product of Bible, your... The Bible says that God created man on the sixth day of the creation. So surely... Man being? Somewhere. Man, no, but man being who? I don't know. It Adam, wasn't... Adam and Eve. Adam. Adam and Eve. No, it wasn't. Oh, it was. After, after the sixth day came the seventh day when he rested. And then after that, the Bible says that the world had no man to till the earth. And that's when he created Adam. Uh, no, I don't believe that is correct. I just don't... Yeah, Genesis. It's like the, it's like the, the only chapter of Genesis I've read a hundred times. <laughs> I usually get to about well, the second chapter. Let, <laughs> maybe, maybe you stumped me on something. I'm not saying that because uh, I don't remember it being like that, but let's read it. What are you yeah, saying? Because, yeah, you've got the sixth day, you've got the seventh day. Then God says there is no man on this earth, and that's when God created Adam from the dust of the earth. So I don't know. I have a real problem with that because either I was created on the sixth day or I was created recently. But let me, let me ask you no, one no, more. No, 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 no. I want to I cover this. And God said, oh. let us make man in our image after our likeness, after the fowls. Man created God in his own image. And God blessed him, said, multiply and be fruitful. And God said, behold, I've given everything. God made everything he made. And that was the sixth day. That's what I'm reading right now in, in Genesis chapter 1. Yeah, well, I don't have it. I don't have it memorized word for word. But you got to maybe keep going. It, it might be in the first. Well, there are two accounts of the creation, and you have to understand both of them. You can't just take one. So that's important too. But go ahead with your next oh. next point. Oh, I see what you're saying. So let me ask you one more thing. So you said that I would be here had Adam not sinned. Sure. So when what's the point of that? Of all of us just being here. I mean, I don't, in, I don't in, quite wait, get that. I mean, wouldn't you there, mean in the garden state? Brilliant of us. Would, would, would we still be reproducing and having families? Sure. That would just grow exponentially. Sure. After you would, 6, you would, you, years, you would have like one trillion you, humans on this earth. Just like, and what's we, the point of that? I don't understand the point. Well, you know, I don't understand the, the, what you're saying. In your, what you're saying right now is you don't understand the point of heaven either. And you don't understand the point of being together in a, in a heavenly place where we just exponentially live on and on and on. No, and, I don't. Well, it's the same thing. Understand me living on this earth forever and never dying. Okay. That's what you're saying would happen if we had never sinned. Which I am. Would have I, happened. There would be no death. That's right. Now maybe. Hey, maybe the, now wait. Maybe the reproductive. No. Wait, maybe only the reproductive for Adam or everyone. Maybe the reproductive system after the world fulfilled its measure would have stopped among the people, and the world would have been filled with people, and that would have been it. I don't know, but all we do know is that God commanded Adam to do what he did, and Adam broke it, and sin entered the world. And the whole of the it's new... A, it's a real hang-up for me. I got, I got issues. But That's okay. Well, you read the me, New I've Testament. Taken, I've taken a lot of your time. Let me, let me drop one more thing on you real quick. Okay, let's have it. There's, some, there's, there's, a, there's a verse, and I forget exactly what verse it is, but there's a verse in 2 Nephi where he is quoting Isaiah, Yeah. and he quotes directly from the Septuagint, which Joseph Smith did not have, and it's a verse that comes from the Septuagint, 
and is omitted in the King James Version of the Bible. How did Joseph Smith get that okay. verse? Matt, you have to call me with exact... You can't say there's a verse, because I can tell you that there is a verse where Joseph Smith translated from the King James Version, and he translated an incorrect translated passage and included it in the Book of Mormon. So I just thought that call, maybe you would have already no, heard no, no. that. Right? No, not, not the one where he translated from an unknown Septuagint source. Call us back, give us the exact reference, we'll look it up, and we will show that when we do the research, based on fact, it's not true. Okay, thanks, John. I enjoyed talking to you. You too. Good, good questions. I love them. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Bye. Okay, bye. That was good. I like that. Very good. Okay, let's go to uh, Mark in Fort Worth, Texas. Mark, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hey. Uh, I have a question for you. Uh, actually, more of a comment. Uh, I've recently come to your show because uh, I used to watch Glenn Beck a lot. And you used to watch what? I, was, I used to watch Glenn Beck. Okay. And uh, the question popped into my mind, well, what is Mormonism? And I started doing research on it, and as I did, I kind of started worrying about it and uh, all the things that he has said and done. But I found an interesting article from Haaretz.com. Uh, it's a Jewish newspaper yeah. on July 21st, 2011, and it's about his August 24th, 2011, uh, I guess, get-together in Jerusalem. Uh-huh. And uh, there's a few quotes that I was just wondering and wanting to run by you, being former LDS. Christian and everything else, and okay. what these things might possibly mean. Okay. Uh, the, the first one says, Prime Minister Netanyahu, speaking via satellite, news commentator Glenn Beck, encouraged audience to think of themselves, Jews, Israelis, as one and the same. Uh, this goes on to talk about 5,000 Christians, mainly evangelicals, gathering this week at the Convention Center in Washington for the annual conference of the Organization of Christians for uh, Israel. Some of the quotes later on in the article that really begin to concern me is uh, news commentator Glenn Beck worked the audience into a frenzy, decrying the historical persecution of Jews, insisting that Israel cannot seek control over territories it controls, and calling upon the conference attendees to declare that they too are Jewish. And also, uh, Beck repeated a refrain that Netanyahu had introduced earlier appealing to audience members to self-identify as Israelis and Jews themselves. He exhorted, when we see Israelis not as part of us, but as us, we can move to the next level as human beings. Wow. Adding, let us declare, I am a Jew, they cannot kill all of us. And uh, then it goes down to Pastor Hagee, after watching your show, Law versus Grace. Uh, he says, the truth is not what you think that it is. It's what the Bible says, Hagee proclaimed. There are two ways to live your life, the Torah way and the wrong way. And then it goes, if the U.S. administration forces Israel to divide Jerusalem, God will turn his back to the United States of America. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is watching America, Hagee continued. Mr. President, go tell Russia and the Chinese what to do. And he goes on talks about how Iran becoming nuclear and... Uh, he concludes with, what do to the Jewish people history proves will be done to you. Mark? From Pastor Hagen. Mark, let me, let me uh, just uh, interrupt and kind of give you my uh, thoughts on two things. First of all, uh, Glenn Beck. He's a showman. For a man who is so well-versed in the U.S. Constitution, history of the U.S., and what needs to be done, it's amazing 
that he seems to be oblivious to the facts of the religion he's embraced. Uh, so I believe he's a showman. I personally believe, it's my opinion, he is completely duplicitous and is but the forerunner for another political candidate to come in behind him and take that presidency who is LDS. The, se the second thing, and, so, and I know that he's very popular in Israel. Now, speaking of Israel, this is the second point. I am pro-Israel. Reading the Bible, I do read, and I believe wholeheartedly, that you mess with Israel, you are messing with trouble. I believe it. I, I am completely pro-Israel, so I don't, I don't differ with him. I do differ with his one world nation. I think he's speaking rhetorically when he says we are all Israel in the sense that we're all of the human race and we can't beat each other up. But uh, I don't know if he means it literally. Yeah, what concerns me is if he may in time eventually wind up betraying Israel. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, like I said, I've, I've recently just started watching your show and, and doing a little bit more research on Mormonism itself. And uh, there's a number of things that are kind of frightening with it to me personally as a Christian. And I do support Israel. Uh, I do believe in, uh, you know, you have to support Israel as a Christian. Yeah. But uh, many of these things, like I said, that I've read in here and after watching his shows, and you're right, he, he puts a, a lot of uh, little Mormon hints into his shows with, like, the Back Creek Stones, Hanging by a Thread, the Constitution. Yeah. These things really, really started concerning me, and I've been trying to, to tell my dad he loves him and, you know, swears by him, and I said, you know, Dad, you don't understand. You don't know the God that he worships. Exactly. It's not the same God that we worship. And I said, this guy is talking a lot about politics and a lot about God, but we don't know, if we don't know what God he really serves, we don't know what his true intentions are. Matt, it's a great call. we got others waiting. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sean. God bless. Bye-bye. I want to point something out to you. The, in the end times, the power of this world is going to be political. And the power of this world, the political forces that are going to come and make a treaty with Israel are going to be the most powerful political forces on earth. And that is going to, in turn, three and a half years into the treaty, become the Antichrist or be the Antichrist from the get-go. I just want to say, look around you and look at the most political religious forces on earth and just give that some thought when you think that Glenn Beck is so innocent and naive and he's just a real good uh, liaison to the uh, nation of Israel. Okay, uh, let's go to Mike in Sandy, Utah. Mike, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hello, Mike. How are you? Good. And you? Yeah, good. You're on the air. Uh, no, not really. No, you are. You got to turn your TV down. Oh, I'm in the other room. Yeah, well, you're also on the air with me on Heart of the Matter. You called, right? Yeah. Is this Sean? This is. Uh, how's it going? I'm doing all right. Good. Um, do you want to hear my question? Yeah, I'd be, unless there's something else you want to talk about. Well, I, I've got a lot that I could talk about. No, 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 no. Please. Uh, Keep it to the question, Mike. What? Keep it to the question. What is it, my friend? Well, I, uh, I'm sorry. I don't want to be rude to you, but my question to you is, and you said that he was, he, say, he said he's seen him. He said what? Joseph Smith said that he's seen God, right? Yeah. Um, and you said that God is invisible, right? Right. Okay. 
I'm not very good at this kind of thing, so I you got to kind of give me a little leeway. But isn't that why Moses, when he went up on the hill, he had to talk to the burning bush because it was too much for him to talk directly to Moses? He right. Through the burning bush to Moses because he was so powerful and stuff like that. Burning bushes, visions, parts, back parts, uh, wings of chickens or fowls, many different representations. Uh, theophanies, Christophanies of God, but never God himself. Right, right. Yeah. Because I don't know exactly, I wasn't there that day, so I don't know exactly. But that, that was my question. And you know more about this stuff than I do. Well, that, there's the answer, you know. And the LDS, what they'll do is they'll go back in the Old Testament and they'll, they'll look at passages like Isaiah saying, and I saw the Lord. And what, they're ta what they don't realize is we're talking about a vision. He saw the invisible God. When Stephen was stoned, he looked up into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus sitting on the right hand of the Father. He saw the glory. You see the glory. You cannot, man cannot see God. You'll be torched to see him. That's why Jesus came. That's why he's our mediator. So they have it all. And for Joseph to claim that the father pops up, you know, wearing a business suit and smoking a cigar and, and saying, hey, this is me. I used to be a man in a former world, yada, yada, yada. You know, it's unbelievable. You know, God is a, just an obliterating fire, you know. And Joseph said that he shows up as a man. It's unbelievable. So, so in basically, it's major arrogance, right? Yeah. Okay, because I'm trying, I'm learning about this stuff, but I'm just trying to put things together. That's why I called and asked you tonight. Keep going, my brother. You're doing well. I appreciate you listening to my question. You're welcome. God bless. Same to you. Thanks. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, what was I going to say about that, Father? I don't know. It might come to me in a second. Listen, from Mike. He says, let's assume the LDS teachings end up being true, as ridiculous as that may sound to you. But somehow you know that it, LDS teachings, is true for a fact. My question to you is, uh, would you be willing to set aside those few beliefs, he couches it, that don't match up and embrace the new truth you have received? Remember, this is assuming God has told you so. I just personally think if God himself lets me know something, I got to do it, right? Uh, so let me say this. This question is presented uh, on a false premise. And because God is not a God of contradictions. Truth is not relative. There aren't some truths here and some truths there, and they coalesce into one truth. There is truth, and that is it. There is truth. It's not a relative term. Mike, you have used a tactic that refutes logic and reason. And so it's like me asking, um, if God came to you and told you, Mike, that Jesus was a con man and Mussolini was really the Messiah, would you embrace it? You can only answer yes or no. That's what you're saying here. You can only answer yes or no. Um, it's self-contradictory. It's an illogical question. Uh, and so to answer it would be ludicrous. Truth and faith are established on facts. You have to understand that. I cannot somehow believe in Jesus out of the blue if I don't know what Je a fact about Jesus. He might appear to me in a vision. That's a fact. 
He might show himself in his word and tell me about his life. Those are facts, and I can choose to have faith on those. I just don't suddenly believe in something because I have feelings or impressions that are not based on fact. That's why God gave us his word, which substantiates the truth. And then when we have impressions, we read his word to see if those impressions are in line with his will or not. Okay? Uh, we have here, is Warren Jeff's trial going to have an impact on Salt Lake and the rest of the world? I think it uh, does minimally. I think people follow that. They might have a misunderstanding uh, of who Warren Jeff's is, but uh, I think it does minimally. Uh, the LDS spin machine is amazing. You know that you can go right now online and you can type in, I forget who she is, she's an actress. Brandy uh, told me about this earlier. She's an actress or something now. She was on Dancing with the Stars. Uh, and, and she played a, a, a part in the movie of the girl who got her arm bit off by the shark. The girl who got her arm bit off by the shark and is a soul surfer, she's a Christian through and through. But if you go online and you type that girl's name, the soul surfer girl's name who's missing the arm, it comes up Mormon. It comes up Mormon because an LDS person was in the film. And they just, they will glom onto any worldly effect and make it their own so as to appear like it is more and more embraced. They own the internet, my friends. They own it. Uh, that sounds rash, but I'm telling you, we have a battle on that thing because every topic they're putting forth their filth and getting people to believe that they are Christian. Bethany Hamilton is a surfer and total Christian. That's the uh, thing that I was just told. Okay, from Wendy, says, I appreciate the glitches on your show and look forward to seeing what you will look like every week. So glad. God does not love or save us because of how we look. Listen to this, what she says. It's really great. Especially as I see the perfect people walking down my street with Book of Mormon cases every Sunday. She writes, really? Listen to this. A two-year-old in a three-piece suit? <laughs> Think about it. What the heck are they doing with those poor kids? They get these little boys and they put them in three-piece general authority suits. And they make them walk around in that. It's, it's unbelievable. Great point, Wendy. Really appreciate it. Uh, Rockwell writes that he came out of the LDS church and he has a recommendation. How about we do an LDS trivia show, LDS callers only, and we ask questions like, how old was Joseph Smith when he took his first and uh, uh, wife uh, the first vision accounts, things like that. And we just do maybe a list of 20 questions and say, you know, you're going to win a prize. We'll, we'll send you something, a Heart of the Matter t-shirt if you get all the, qu the questions right. But you got to be LDS. It's a good idea, and maybe we will do, put that into effect someday. Uh, Paul, Salt Lake City, uh, he is LDS. We'll try him. Paul, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How you doing, Paul? Okay, I just had a question. Yes. Uh, do you believe God to have omnipotent power over what goes on on the earth here? Do I believe he has omnipotent power? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I think omnipotent power for God has to be uh, founded in all his other attributes. So, I don't believe he's despotic, meaning I don't believe he's a control freak. I believe we also take the attribute that he's benevolent that he's loving, that he's kind, that he's full of justice, that he's all of these things included with his omnipotent power, and then we can have sort of an understanding of what he's about. We're going to go to Daphne in Cedar Hills. Daphne, you're on Heart of the Matter. All right. You're on the air, Daphne. Go ahead. You only got two minutes. 
Okay, um, should I talk right now or? Talk, talk right now. Oh, okay. Hey, um, I don't have any question for you. Okay. But I just want to say, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't want to, you know, like talk about your religions or your beliefs. Yeah. I only know uh, what I believe. Yeah, I know, and, 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 and atheists and Wiccans know what they believe. And, yeah, they, they me, let me tell, tell you what I feel. What you feel? Okay. Um, Please do. I just want to, I don't want to argue with you in, in this, this live, you know. What do you, you, you want to do, Daphne? You want to come on our live show, that's a Christian show, and you want to bear testimony of what you know through your feelings. Is that what you want to do, Daphne? I, what? Do you want to bear your testimony, Daphne, of what you know is true? Sure. Yeah. Well, this isn't the place, my friend, because your testimony is worthless. It's not based on fact. It's based on your feelings, Daphne. You can come on here and say, I know Joseph Smith was a prophet. I... But did you hear any of the quotes I read about your, from your prophet's mouth? You can say, I know that Thomas Monson is a prophet of God. But have you read Hebrews 1.1? You can say you know that there was a first vision that Joseph Smith saw God, but do you read the accounts of the first vision? Your knowledge is ridiculous, and your testimony empty. All it means is you say, I have this belief, Sean, and I want to tell you what it is. Isn't it pretty? No, it's not based on fact. God gave you a Bible. People died for this Bible to bring you truth, and you walk around, and you want to call a show and promote this church because you feel it's good. I know what I know. Oh, yes, you do. Only, you know. How I, do you know I, what I, you know, Daphne? Right? How, Daphne, how do you know what you know? You say a prayer. And Through your prayer? What you Muslims, uh, other people, uh, Scientologists, they know, they know what they know. Who's true, Daphne? What is truth? What? What, what, is, what is truth? You tell me from your heart. What? You say those things. Is that true from your heart? You feel good about it? Yes. You feel not good about it? I feel good about it. Sleep? Excellent good. I feel excellent good about it, Daphne. Well, I, we have 20 I, seconds I'm, left. Call next week if you want to try to talk more about your feelings and what you know. Only 18 uh, seconds. Uh, Love you. Bye. Okay. Next week, we're going to talk about the chronology of Joseph Smith's first vision. If you can sit through that show and hear the chronology and believe it after that, you're more deluded than Daphne. See you next week. I'm gonna break my rusty cage.